This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 7, Episode 13. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network of podcasts brought to you by Silencer Shop. Today is Wednesday, October 19th, 2022, and I'm your host, Jacob Paulson. And today I am joined by our producer and co-host, Matthew Marister. Hello, sir. Glad to be here. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate you to humble us. I know that you're a big star, you know, with that HBO documentary <laughs> and all. And I'm just so grateful that you would, you know, condescend to come down to our podcast. Not a problem. Anytime. Yep. <laughs> so with that in mind, uh, let's let's kind of get rolling. We're really excited about today's episode. I'm calling it Range Theatrics Part 1. Uh, spent a lot of time... On the range <laughs> recently it feels like uh lots lots of time on the range um i have about 100 hours this year on uh, in, in in my farm training book which is one of my best years ever and i'm pretty stoked uh, to talk about this before we do let's talk about our sponsors first and foremost the base camp and tracker trauma kits from mount man medical mount man medical has a lot of trauma kits and well not that many it's less than 10 but but the base camp and tracker are kind of meant to be a pair and, and they're relevant this time of year because many of you are getting ready for your hunt or maybe you're going on a hunt right now or maybe you're listening to this while you're on the road to go shoot an animal i don't know but it's hunting season so the tracker and the uh, base camp are an important pair. You see, the base camp is what it sounds like. It is a pretty robust, beefy-ish trauma kit, and it's really designed to be at the base camp. Keep it in your truck, keep it in your car, keep it at the camp, uh, whatever it might be. But when you're on the trail, you know, hunting the animal, or maybe, and it doesn't even have to be hunting, by the way, it's maybe you're a backpacker, camper, hiker, whatever, um, you probably are not going to afford that much space and weight to your trauma kit. That's why we have the tracker. So Mount Man Medical Get yourself a tracker to keep in your pocket or in your bag when you're on the trail. Lightweight. You can even attach it to your belt if you want. It's got some of the core essentials. And then the base camp is there for, you know, hopefully the tracker will get you back to the base camp. The base camp will get you to, you know, EMS services. That's the thinking there. And they're a great kit, great combination. Check them out at mountainmanmedical.com. And also today's sponsor, second sponsor is Barrel Block. Uh, you know what? Barrel, no, no one is above negligent discharges and i just i think barrel block is so important because it, in fact today i was watching a series of videos that a, a reputable uh fire instructor a friend of mine has put up online about dry fire and i think that the training that he was putting up was really good i was i was consuming it matthew i was watching it and in each every single video at the beginning of the video he demonstrates for everybody watching that his, his gun is clear right locks the slide back and shows or maybe like in one he like has it disassembled at the beginning of the video like here's the barrel you can see through it uh and another one like he shines a flashlight down the barrel so you can see the light coming out into the chamber it's like see there's nothing in there it's like you know what this this talk about theatrics like just barrel block it and let's move on you know so i texted him and he's like yeah you're right my bad so barrel block, guys, like if you're conducting any sort of administrative handling or dry fire practice in which a barrel block could be used, you should be using a barrel block. And for $12.99, I think it's a fool who, who doesn't use it when they can. Uh, or at least you're naive or unaware. So now you're aware. Check it out at blocksafety.com. That's B-L-O-K safety.com. Those are sponsored messages, Matthew. Yeah. So 
range theatrics. Why don't you tell everybody, our, our listeners, what we mean when we use the term range theatrics, or what does it come to mean? You know, this this phrase, range theatrics. Yeah, there's probably uh, we're going to name off a couple things, and we'll see how far along we get in this list. We uh, Jacob proposed this, uh, you know, a few minutes ago. We haven't discussed any of this really, um, but in, in general. You know, uh, what we see sometimes are in, in classifies range theatrics are things that people do on the range, uh, maybe actions or uh, a specific way of doing things on the range. You ask them why they do that. And there's really not a reason. It's more, well, this is just what I was told or, um, you know, there's not a tactical reason for doing it. Uh, there may be um, just, um, you know, hey, I saw this on you know, one instructor was doing this or this is how my instructor told me and I never really questioned it. Um, and so some of these things are obviously of different, I don't know, um, levels of, you know, not having much value at all. Some of them are, you know, just things that you should stop doing because they're actually detrimental. And some things might just be um, things that, you know, maybe it's a stylistic thing, but we're going to try to hit on some of the ones that are more, um, along the lines of these are things that people do. There's a right way to do it and there might be a wrong way or a better way, I, I guess would be maybe not right way, maybe a better way of doing things where um, people just kind of get in this habit because it's been done that way. And so we kind of want to break those, at least challenge people to think, why are you doing the things the way you do on the range? And does that translate to, uh, uh, effectively or appropriately to real life scenario. Yep. Yep. Fantastic summary. Uh, I like the word theatrics because it, it's not all of these things are, are things that people do to look cool, but a lot of them are. And I think that's kind of why we associate this phrase uh, with, you know, range theatrics training scars is another you know tr word or phrase we might use for some of these things we're going to talk about. Like you said, in, in the case that they, sometimes they become detrimental, uh, but yeah, that we're, we're trying to avoid things that we do just to do or to look cool or, or whatever. Um, I, I think I could attribute this to Ken Hackathorn, but I think, you know, his phrase is don't do stupid crap. Like why don't do that stupid stuff. Like why are you doing stupid stuff? Um, so, uh, and I, I, I think that that's, that's the kind of thing we're talking about. Like, well, why, why are you doing that? Like, help me understand why you do that. And if you have a, a legitimate reason, which often many of these, by the way, do generally have legitimate reasons, then we got to talk about like, how legitimate is that reason? And is it really apply in a way that it makes sense to train it like this? All right, Matthew. So with that in mind, uh, we have some that we've written down here. I'll let you pick one and let's run with it. All right, let's just go in line and we'll, we'll take that first one. Um, the sidestep during the reload or malfunction clearing. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm thinking of a video online. Uh, I'm sure it's on YouTube, but I'm, it's on a manufacturer's company, a website that sells a fire related product. And in this video, the person, trainer, whatever, is trying to demonstrate how to clear a uh, malfunction and uh, a very specific type of malfunction. And, and in the course of this video, I mean, it's very sequential. It's like step one, step two, step like it's extremely um, formal in terms of a video. And in this video, the, the, the trainer, he says, you know, he simulates the, the, the malfunction. He says, okay, 
first thing we do, you know, and he talks about the manipulation cover. We locked the slide to the rear, whatever it was. And, uh, and then one of his sequential steps, you know, is, you know, take a step to the side, you know, step. And I think he specifically stepped to the left. Yep. So I think that might've been his first thing. Like we detect malfunction. Step one, step, you know, step one step to the left and he steps to the left and then he does whatever it is to clear the malfunction. And then, and then he says one step to the right. And he steps one step to the right, and then he reengages the target. And this is this is an, an, the, the, this particular video is in an indoor range. Just you know, he's the only one in the range on the firing line. And the question has to be asked: like, why are you doing that? Like, what's what's the point? Yeah, it, it, I think. Um, and here, it, it, I've I've seen people do this on the range, and I've asked them like, why are you doing that? And the reason most often is is given is. Well, if I have a malfunction, I want to get off the X and that's a legitimate, I mean, that's a legitimate thing, right? Like uh, I would, I hesitate to say, you know, anything absolute, but if you're involved in a, in, in a shooting, most of the time you and the other person are not going to be standing still um, maybe initially, but certainly there's going to be some sort of dynamic qualities to, to, to a shooting uh, most of the time. And so like, yeah, we do want to move off the X. And if you have a gun that malfunctions or runs dry, yeah, you probably don't want to stand stagnant, but the, the, the deal with taking a step, one step to the left and then one step back to the right or run step to the right and back to the left doesn't accomplish the actual purpose of movement. Um, you're probably not going to take a step offline to the left or to the right every single time or one step you're, you're, so the concept of, of movement, you know, if you have a gun, this run dry is awesome, but let's not fall into the trap of thinking, well, every time I, you know, have a malfunction, I take one step this way, or I take one step that way, because what you end up doing is you, you ingrain like these, these kind of, uh, I don't know, involuntary, I don't want to say involuntary responses, but things that you do every time. And it's just not the case. And so I think um, if you're able to, to engage and get training where you can actually have a malfunction um, unexpectedly while you're conducting a string of fire that involves movement. And so, or allows you to move from one point to another and then actually practice the, the, the principle of moving while, you know, you're, you're uh, you know, conducting a reload or getting to cover and conducting the reload behind cover or whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well said. I mean, for me, the, the, the challenge here is a lot of these things that we're talking about today are born out of the reality of the type of range we're training on, right? Where, yep. where there's shooters on my left, there's shooters on my right. We're all on this, you know, straight firing line. And, you know, we're limited in what we can do. We can't step forward because that'd be in front of the firing line. Can't step back because that would put other people in front of our firing line. We don't have some sort of cover or even simulated cover. Um, and so my run, you know, I'm just trying to teach my brain that when the run, you know, when the gun not worky, I should, you know, move. I should move. That's, to your point, I think valid. Like, yes, movement's probably a good idea. But I might ask, like, why were you standing still in the first place? If you're exposed, right? If you're exposed, and why are you standing there now? So I, I don't know the gunfight, right? Like, I don't know what's going to happen. It might be that I do draw and I immediately get shots on target. And then I, I, as soon as I, you know, determine my first volley is over, 
I move mm-hmm. and I get to cover. And then from cover, I'm, I'm re-engaging, reassessing. And it, at that point, if, you know, if I have some sort of gun, not worky that maybe I am moving back behind cover in order to address that while I'm trying to keep my eyes up. Um, that's not the kind of thing that's easily trained on an average square range where there's shooters on my right, shooters on my left. Um, and I'm unable to do those kinds of dynamic movements. So, so the point is valid, right? The, the, the thing that generated that theatric has credit, the concept, but as a you know, habit that we always do, when gun not working, take one step left. You know, that, that doesn't make sense to me. So, so Matthew, what are some things people might do if they're concerned with, well, I, I want to train myself or teach myself to move. How do they change this or vary this in a way that's going to be more efficient or effective? Yeah. I mean, there's obviously there, if you're limited by the range, right, you, you typically shoot in a indoor range, you can't be running around and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Right. So, so you may be limited. Um, and let's say you do shoot an indoor range and there's lanes and you can't, you can't, you know, break free from that. Well, practice through dry fire, you know, uh, you can, you can practice, uh, magazine changes. You can practice, um, movement with magazine changes in wherever you dry fire. Right. Um, think about, you know, the idea, the concept of movement. Yeah, it's great. And, and, but you can do that even, uh, without having a live fire. Now, obviously it's great if you can get to a class where you can shoot and move, or you can set a barrel and, and, and a piece of cover and they're at different, you know, distances. And you can, you can actually put into practice what you're trying to accomplish with that single sidestep. And so you actually start developing the skills of not just, I move because my gun ran dry, but I start incorporating into my brain. Like I need to be moving and where do I, where should I be moving? Cover, uh, create distance, create an angle. And that becomes the reason why you're moving, not because, well, I had a malfunction. So I take a step offline and it makes it harder for him to shoot me or whatever, whatever, you know, sometimes. Yeah, I, I couldn't, I, I think that's spot on. Dry fire is the place to train this, to practice this effectively. And, and for me, the thought is not must move. The thought is must get to cover, right? Like the, this is, this is, really a conversation about use of cover because stepping to the left or to the right one step, I suppose that gets me off the X, but it's really not an effective, extremely effective defensive technique or tactic. If it still leaves me exposed. In fact, I'd call it silly. Um, So, so anyway, for whatever that one's worth, the sidestep during the reload or malfunction range theatrics. (laughs) All right. So our next one, Matthew, uh, the lack of follow through or what I'm going to call the snapback. Yeah. Tell us you about me, that one. You want me to start? Okay. So um, this, I, I see quite a bit where um, in it, and it's, uh, it can't, it, so if you, let's say, for example, let's say you're shooting um, draw to first shot and you know, it's one shot. I would, be willing to bet if you just ran through it and I just got you on the line and shot, you know, had you shoot it, um, told you shoot one shot, you'd shoot, your finger would immediately come off the trigger and you'd probably come back to like a compressed ready position, high ready, whatever. Right. Like, because you know, you're shooting one shot. So there's no, there's no follow through and, and not follow through from the, from the typical fundamental standpoint where like I stay on my sights, but f- follow through for the, for the fact of, if we're training in a defensive, you know, uh, context, 
the last thing you want to do is shoot and then come right back to the high ready or, you know, it's almost, I see this quite a bit. And, um, and so we have to break free from, you know, I know I'm only shooting two rounds. So as soon as I shoot two rounds, I come back or I'm shooting a drill. It's two to the chest, one of the head, whatever it might be. And as soon as I'm done shooting, I just pull the, the, the gun back to a, to a ready position. Um, that's not, it's not reality. That's not what, you know, naturally you're, you want to do. Um, and so I think, um, it just, it comes from kind of gaming the system, knowing what I'm going to perform, performing it, and then shutting, you know, shutting down and drills over. So therefore, uh, I don't have to be, you know, uh, on the trigger or even, you know, finger on the frame, looking over my sights at my threat or whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I learned from Pat Mack that you need to have one more sight picture than there are shots fired. So if you, if you conduct an exercise or a drill or a test that has five shots, you should get six sight pictures, right? If it has 23 shots, you should get 24 sight pictures because you always end acquiring a new sight picture and prepping the trigger and, and training to, to, you know, I know it's going to be a build drill, you know, draw bang, 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 you know, snap back, check target, look cool put it on Instagram. Um, that That's not terribly efficient because what you're training yourself to do is when I'm, when I think I'm done or when I achieve some, some designated thing, I immediately break down the gun. Uh, I don't leave it assembled. I'm using, you know, opposite of breakdown, right? I don't, I don't leave it assembled. I don't leave it in that, that forward target position. And this creates bad habits, both with the trigger finger and and with the sight picture. So, yeah, I, I, I appreciate that we're trying to clarify or not use the term follow through because that that has that can be a confusing reference here. But I'm I'm referring to this idea that when you're done shooting whatever it is, you should finish with the gun up pre- at target with a sight picture with the trigger reset, and only when you've determined okay now I'm done I I got that last sight picture. Now I can, I can break the gun down. Um, and that's what I'm going for here is this idea that we need to stop the habit of, you know, whatever it is, bang, bang, whoop, your gun comes back, break it down, bring it in. Mm-hmm. Um, because that looks, I don't know, super snappy, awesome or something, but, but you, you gotta get that last sight picture. Yeah. And, and I would just, you know, ways to break this is, is to run drills of, of various numbers of shots. Um, that way, you know, it's a little bit different. Um, you know, if you can, when you're shooting with somebody else, have them call, you know, call out, um, you know, a, a number before you shoot, this is going to be, you know, you know, un, unknown number of rounds, ready, be four, and then, um, you know, do something like that. Have, have some accountability with a partner to say, Hey, if I, if I just start breaking down my position right away, I break my grip or I, my finger flies off the trigger right away. Like call me on it like that. I, I want, I want you to do that, you know? And so I think, um, by, by doing those types of things, you can kind of break some of those habits if you have them already yeah have, have you ever been on the line matthew with some shooters and an exercise or a drill is conducted and after it's done you hear all the glock triggers reset yeah right like uh, most of us have experienced this and i'm guilty of having been that guy this is something that took a lot of mm-hmm. time yep. for me to practice and to learn like i was the guy who you know you know i'd be online with however many students and bang, 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 and then we'd finish and click <laughs> and i'm like oh why why am I doing that? Why is it taking me so long to reset the trigger? Because in my mind, I knew I was going to fire 
X number of shots. And so when I got done with that last shot, I locked the trigger to the rear and then I slowly reset it. Yeah. And, and that's a problem. Like that's not okay. That's a really bad habit. I could took, I'm still working on, frankly, to be very transparent, still working on teaching myself. Like the second I press off a shot, the first thing I need to do is reset the gun and regain a sight picture. Mm -hmm. And that's, that should happen quickly and automatically. And that's what we want to happen. You know, that's, that's, you know, this whole snapback, what we're talking about, it, the, the, the bad of it is that you're not reacquiring a new sight picture and prepping the trigger for a potential another shot. Yeah. If you, if you think of that prepping of the trigger and sight picture as part of the shot that you just fired rather than a whole new process, then that will get you in, in you know, at least uh, psychologically thinking that these are things that happen with this, with this shot, the shot doesn't end, you know, this cycle doesn't end when I break the shot. It ends once I reacquire sight picture and prep the trigger, then I can move on to another shot. Um, Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. All right. Next on our theatrics list here, the good old double tap. Yeah. You want to start with this one? Sure. Yeah. I, I, I find that People who are worst at this one are those competitive shooters, man. <laughs> it's the IDPA, USPSA dudes, because the vast majority of the stages they run require two shots per target. Pop, 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 pop. <laughs> it's, they always come in strings of two. And something about that, uh, it, it's, it's <laughs> I'll add that the other real um, culprits are firearm instructors who every single drill they run is two two shots. Okay, I want you to get two shots and then reload, then two more shots. Okay, uh, what you're going to do is you're coming to the firing line, you're draw, you're going to get two shots, then you transition to this other target and get two shots. Um, and, and I don't know what it is about the arbitrary number two. Maybe it at least gives us you know a recoil management you know, and realignment of sights without wasting ammo maybe that's why this number two becomes this this you know seemingly arbitrary target number of shots that that we seem to focus on so much but it does create this double tap theatric or training scar where every time i use gun i must press trigger twice and then Mm. reset yeah and um we've seen absolutely seen true real life gunfight surveillance videos where people clearly are trained to double tap and reset uh, without reevaluating if they need to keep shooting or if they needed the second shot at all, frankly. Right. Yeah. And, and here's the thing, like you, your particular, you know, defensive gun use might require two shots. And if you train with double tap, awesome. But if it requires one in a reassessment um, or if it requires six um, and, you know, you do a two, two round uh, double tap, you assess, you do another two rounds, but it's more appropriate to fire six rounds right away based on the distance or the proximity and what the person's armed with. And in, in, in other situations, uh, you know, the effects of those rounds, you, you don't want to be reassessing, you know, two shots, reassess, two shots, reassess. So like your assessment is this, these shots aren't having effect real time, real life. Right. Like, um, so and, and it can also, you know, the double tap can also kind of be trained in with, I've heard uh, people say, you know, I, I train two to the chest, one to the head. That's how I train. So, like, it's almost like this this drill that was, I, you know, ideally to, uh, you know, uh, work on, 
you know, transitioning from a larger target to a smaller target, right? And and with multiple rounds turns into, well, this is how I train for every single shooting. And so um, it may be appropriate for your shooting, but, you know, it may not be. And so transitioning to the head every time or double tapping every time um, is not what we want to do. So again, we want to run drills of different, of varying you know, round counts. And, but in, in that understand that we're not just like, okay, this round, this drill, we're going to run three shots, but why are we running three shots? Well, because we shot two times and they were ineffective and we ended up shooting one more time. Right. Or, um, you know, based on the the proximity, I needed to get three rounds off because, uh, the person was so close to me. And, and, you know, so I think understanding why we fire, multiple shots is just as important as being able to fire them. Um, you know, from a mm-hmm. practical standpoint, and we got to, we have to process things. The OODA loop is real. Um, something that, that, uh, my friend Mickey always says, uh, and I think he might've gotten this from someone I, I'd give credit if I knew, but for me, it came from Mickey shook as he says, did it hit? Did it work? Do I need to fire another? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, if, if if I'm training to just bang bang, you know, and I'm done, or if it's you know two to the chest, one to the head, bang bang bang, and then I'm done. Like, I, am I reassessing right? And so I think that uh, generally, I think a quality defensive pistol instructor or defensive shooting instructor is going to, at some point, for the appropriate audience, they're going to create some sort of a premise, whether it's uh, in a specific drill or it's generally across an entire uh, curriculum. That you know maybe maybe a, a target's down when you hit it twice, but if you if you know you need to make up shots. If if you double tap and you miss one, we you better follow it up with a third. If you miss again, like shoot until you get it, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sometimes easier with you know, if if people aren't able to call their shots or know if they hit or not, then that that becomes a difficult premise, which is why it may be appropriate for a certain audience, or maybe when you're using steel targets or something that's a little bit more obvious. But I think it's important to build the ability to assess. Did I hit? Did it work? Do they need another? Mm-hmm. So the double tap is is probably not ideal. If that's if that's an effective training system, because it's it gives you recoil management and it mitigates or limits the amount of ammo you burn, that's fine. But doing it all the time is probably a bad idea for those reasons. Yep, agree. All right, what else we got, Matthew? want to go to number four on your list you got a quick reholster the quick reholster oh man this looks dope on the on the insta <laughs> on the gram man without, I'm cool yeah and without looking <laughs> right yeah. oh god mm-hmm. yeah i mean yeah, yeah. you just gotta you gotta go bang bang you gotta pull that gun back and you gotta drop it real fast in the holster while you're keeping your eye on your target and then that's when you turn and look at the camera like yo yeah i'm awesome <laughs> yeah, I, and so, and, and context is going to matter here, as, as at least as far as looking the gun back into the holster. But let, let's let's put it this way: um, you don't you don't want to get back into the holster right away if you're involved in a shooting. Now, uh, obviously, you know law enforcement might be coming, and you don't want to extend the time outside of the holster further than what it needs to be, right? But if you have an active threat. If you've just shot somebody because they've been a, you know, an imminent deadly force threat or, you know, likely to cause death or serious bodily harm to you or somebody else, and you just had to shoot this person, the last thing you want to do is a sub-second, you know, reholster um, back into the holster. There's just no reason, um, especially because people 
that have been shot aren't always out of the fight. Um, and so th- there may be another threat. So we want, we don't want to get right back in the holster, number one, because tactically it's not wise. And number two, it's not safe. And I'll let you kind of go on, on that and then, you know, yeah. expound. But it's not safe. Uh, <laughs> you know, in fact, I was, me and Matthew were watching a video yesterday about a discharge of a gun. In, in holster and it it just you know I, there seem to be a lot of sobering reminders out there to constantly keep me on my toes and remind me that your know, crap can go wrong real fast it takes very little it takes very little and it can really happen to anybody and and it seems this tends to be something that i see a lot with some of the more trained and experienced shooters out there because they're so competent with the muscle memory of knowing right where the holster is and right where the gun goes they don't feel they need to look and, and those kinds of things but the man is a safety concern. Um, <laughs> I just—it's hard to justify any reason, unless you're carrying handcuffs and you got to, you know, cuff someone up. I just have a hard time imagining a scenario where I need to be fast, and so for that reason, I need to walk the gun in. If you've been, if you've really, truly like taken some defensive handgun training, I—I I would have a hard time believing you if you told me you've never, ever, even partially started to reholster your gun. And 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 snag some of your shirt into the holster with it. I call BS. Like if you if that's never happened to you, I'm like liar. Then you've not you've not spent enough hours on the range. Um, it doesn't really happen to me anymore because I've mitigated those issues, right? I've identified. But I I think it's very common. Most people probably have had an experience where they've gone to walk the gun back into the holster and snag up on a piece of clothing and they're shoving the gun in with the clothing. And most of the time that doesn't lead to an ND right? Because we recognize the tension and we adjust and, and things like that. But the point is those things can happen. We know we know somebody who went to reholster and the uh, zipper pull from their jacket or something got snagged into the trigger and they pushed down and the trigger pull pulled up on the trigger and that discharged the gun. So so those are things that, to think about. <clears throat> I, I recently made a decision, Matthew, that uh, on my Glocks, if I carry a Glock, it's going to have the striker fire device on it. Mm-hmm. Um, because when I, so now I'm training myself, I'm, I'm retraining myself now that when I reholster, I put my thumb over the back of the slide. If it's a single action uh, only or a double action, single action or double action only, if it's a hammer gun, it's a gun with a hammer. You know, I guess it could be a variety of those or none of those. But if it's a gun with a hammer, then putting my finger on the back of the hammer is going to mean that if anything does snag up on that trigger, I'm going to feel it the hammer is going to come back on my thumb and I'm going to be able to keep enough pressure down with my thumb to keep it from happening. And mm-hmm. I'm going to be able to reassess what's going on. And similarly with, with the, like my Glock 19, which is the gun I, I'm using most often right now, I have the striker fire device. If those are not familiar with it, it replaces the back plate on the slide. And if anything actuates the trigger, that striker fire device comes out to the rear. It looks like your gun's breaking. If you don't know what it looks like, if you've never seen it before. And so by putting my thumb over the back of it, and it's the only purpose of this entire product is that when I put my thumb over the back of it, when I go to reholster, if something snags the trigger, I feel the pressure on my thumb. And if I am pushing hard with my thumb, I can keep it from happening. But more importantly, I would feel it happening and I'd reassess, pull the gun out. So yeah, there's just no reason to go back to the holster quickly. It's a safety concern and it's not tactically prudent. So stop it. Yeah. I mean, think about if you've just been in a fight, especially if, I mean, if you carry small back, which I hope you don't, but if you do, or, you know, behind the right hip, even um, it's harder to see back there. And, 
you know, even in the best of conditions, people struggle getting the the gun into the holster without snagging the shirt. And now imagine you just got into a fight with somebody, uh, your shirts are, your shirts ripped, you, you know, uh, your, your holster could be, you know, broken something. I mean, uh, who knows something could have gotten wedged in there during the fight. And so it's just, there's a whole bunch of bad stuff that can come from you not at least taking a second to look into the holster, make sure it's still there. It's not broken. There's nothing in it. And then going back to the holster, if you have a concern that the guy is still a threat and you can't take your eyes off him, well then don't reholster the gun, right? Like the, the gun shouldn't be in the holster if you think that there's still a threat. So, you know, this is one of those places where some good training actually can really build a good habit, right? Uh, you know, Re- remove cover garment, I- identify, put eyes on holster, check it, confirm it's good to go, look gun into, you know, maybe you have to, maybe depending on where you carry, you probably have to pivot your body some direction. If you're appendix carry, maybe you're pushing, thrusting your hips forward a little bit. If you're carrying a traditional IWB, three, four, five o'clock, then maybe you got to almost bend forward, like thrust your butt out a little bit so that you can adjust the angle and then go ahead and, and walk it in uh, and look it in, right? So anyway, some good habits can be built there if you create a good process. Um, but but just you know, whoo, slamming it back in like you're, you know, Speedy Gonzalez on. Fed, we should do some like funny mock video where we put a shot timer on it. We're all like try and beat each other's reholster times or something. Yeah, that'd be fun. No, let's not. Um, maybe it's an April first fool's joke. That that might work. All right, here's next on our list: going to ready positions when not appropriate. Yeah, you want me to take this one, or you go? Um, Why don't you start? Yeah, let me kick it off. So. <laughs> I th- I think that what happens, you know, there's a lot of ready positions. So for those who are not familiar, we're talking about things you do with the gun when you're not ready to reholster yet, but you're not currently shooting. So, you know, something like a, like a temple index, you know, maybe where it's up here next to your head, a high ready, maybe when you, you know, you kind of point the gun, maybe 30, 45 degrees or something or 50 or more, maybe 80, 90 degrees up toward in, into the sky, low ready when it's kind of, you know, 15, 20, 30 degrees forward in front of your feet. Position Sewell, which many of us know, where the gun kind of you know comes back and and the the muzzle is sitting over the top of the back of one of your hands, kind of pointed at the ground, you know, about ten to fifteen degrees in front of your feet, probably. Um, you know, c- compressed ready. You know, there's any number of ready positions, right? Places we put the gun when when we're not ready to put it away, but we're not we're not using it in the moment. Well, any one of these positions probably has an appropriate uh, use case. Situations where that is probably the best ready, the best ready position you could use. Th- that that's just that's why all these ready positions exist is because there's situations where they're appropriate. But we tend to kind of fall in love with one and use it all the time. The problem is that there's any one of these ready positions. There's also a circumstance where it's really a bad bad thing to do. Like you should definitely not be using that ready position right now. Um, for a mad, uh, for example, I heard this story. I did not witness it personally. But heard a story recently uh, where the the shooters were doing a drill where they were laying on the ground on their back, okay, feet forward toward the target, and they had to retrieve the gun from wherever it was, safely get it on target without you know muzzling legs and feet and toes and whatever else, you know, exercise whatever number of shots are required for the exercise, um, and then you'll go into a ready position and reassess, and. In this particular instant, what happened is one of the students was 
really comfortable with Temple Index. Like that was their go-to ready position. They loved it. It's allowed movement. They can run right, run left, go up, go down, up range, down range, right? It, 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 with movement, it's a, it tends to be a very, pretty effective uh, ready position. But in this particular instance, they're laying on the ground on their back. What happens if you go to Temple Index when you're laying on the ground with your with your <laughs> back on the ground? Yeah. You're pointing the gun up range at all the people behind the firing line. Right? But that's that's you know, I got that memorized, right? That's what I do. Bang, bang, whoop, right here it goes. So what if what if you go to high ready? What if that's your, oh, I just go high ready. Well, if I'm laying on the ground, I go high ready. I could be muzzling, you know, my range buddy who's my target partner or something, or the firearm instructor standing right behind me, like right up in their face. So I think we got to think about these different carry positions and what makes sense. Uh, Paul Sharp, who's part of the ShivWorks Collective, he tells a story about when he was on duty and he uh, was working on an, uh, an arrest and he, you know, goes to cuff up a guy and the guy, you know, goes after Paul's gun and he's got his gun in kind of a high ready position. He's you know working for his cuffs and whatever. And the guy grabs the gun and tries to shove it under Paul's chin and, and, and gets it in that position. He's trying to pull the trigger on Paul, right? So that he would effectively shoot himself up to the head. Uh, and, you know, he's fighting over just keeping this guy from pressing the trigger and getting the gun out from under his face. So, and that, you know, maybe when we're cuffing people, high ready is not a great place. I don't, I'm not a cop. I'm just giving you some context for understanding that the, any given ready position uh, is not 100% the best position all the time. Yeah, I, I would agree. And, and it goes back to the context of why you're doing it. Like, why are you using that position? Now, I've even heard, um, you know, you know, when we teach, um, different ready positions. We'll go through and have somebody say, okay, uh, go through each position. Hey, we're going to teach you this position, this position. Well, I like this one the best. Well, that's great. Like you can have your favorite, but, but you have to be able to use all of them because we're, we're, we got to think of these things as not as like skills in a vacuum that we, you know, deploy on the range because that's how I perform the best through this drill or that drill. We have to think of like, these are skills I'm trying to develop so I can be a, a you know, survive and, and function in all different kinds of scenarios. And I have to be able to think of why am I, you know, where's my muzzle pointing? Why am I doing this? Why is the gun out? Uh, the guy's too close. The gun has to come back or it has to go in the holster. Like we have to be able to, to think. And that's, I think where, you know, some of these re- theatrics cross over into, well, I'm just doing it because I'm doing it. And we're not thinking of why we're doing it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So if you want to have a favorite ready position, okay. I I admit I have a favorite ready position, kind of my go-to, but we have to develop enough gun handling skills so that our brain can, can let go and stop paying attention to, am I drawing properly? Am I gripping properly? Am I pressing the trigger well? So that our brain can focus on, where should I be pointing the gun, right? So we can be thinking about these things uh, and, and 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 focusing on that. It, and sometimes it just becomes part of the drill. I'll give you another one. This is, a, this is a, <laughs> I saw this one uh, a lot recently. So we're doing a movement drill, okay? Moving, you know, figure eighting down a firing line uh, in and around cover. And so obviously when, when the cover is between you and the targets, uh, students are instructed to find a ready position that works. 
well, depending on how close you get behind that target, something like low ready or even Sewell may not work because you were, you'd be muzzling that, that barricade or barrier or whatever it is between you and the targets. Uh, but if you get enough space, if you, you know, if everybody's moving that they're whatever direction they want. So if you back it up enough and give you enough, enough space that that could work, uh, or you maybe you go to a high ready, right? So it's about using the brain and actually paying attention. And the other thing I saw on this, this, I, I just, every single time it cracks me up is that people would, would break down the gun and bring it into a ready position when they were in front of the barricade. Cause remember we're weaving, right? So, I'm engaging target, bang, bang, and then I weave behind a barricade. Sure enough, break down gun, whatever ready position makes sense. And then I you know, come back out, engage target, engage next target. And now I'm in front of a ready position, or I'm in front of a, bar- a barricade, and I break down the gun again. Why? Like there's nothing in front of you, right? But the, the problem is that the habit is built in the mind of bang, bang, break down gun into ready position, represent bang, bang, break gun down into ready position, represent, bang, bang, break gun down into, re- right? So, so we got to use our, like, we got to use our heads. We're like, why am I doing that crap? Why, why am I doing that? Like, I don't know. There's no reason for that. hundred percent. Yeah. Good times. <laughs> All right. I think we got time for a couple more here. Matthew, what is right. next? Uh, we got looking right and left after the drill or your uh, search and assessment. Hmm. Yeah. What do you think about that one? Well, all right. So here's the thing. This is going to be another one of those like contextual things. And uh, you may not be able to do this, you know, appropriately. But if you think about it and, and, you know, you know, if you're not familiar with what we're talking about, watch many videos online and you'll see somebody, you know, they'll shoot. And then they bring the gun maybe into a high ready or a sewell, and they'll look over the right shoulder and low over their left shoulder and then they'll holster. And that's great for the for uh, the square range because you know you'll ask them well wh- why did you do that and well I want to make sure there's no additional threats behind me okay and that's that's great with the range you know on a square range because guns pointed down range and you haven't flagged anybody but in reality if somebody if you did have a threat behind you you would ha- be absolutely in a unable to address that threat appropriately. Um, you know, traditionally you're probably standing in somewhat sort of an isosceles position. You're looking over your shoulder. I mean, think about how off balance you would be if somebody was behind you and just punched you right in the face, right. Or to even pushed you, you have, you know, so you're off balance. You can't appropriately, even if you saw something, you still have to turn. And so I get it. Like, I don't want to turn my back on the threat that I just shot. They might be a threat. Well, then you address the threat. You make sure that that threat is down. And then you deal with other threats, right? So once that threat is down, you say, okay, I can, I have the ability to assist the threat. Ideally, you want to turn your whole body. And I know, like I said, it's it's um, difficult to do this on many ranges. Um, I know, you know, I don't do this with, you know, concealed carry first time students that are on the range. Um, but in, in other classes, I absolutely teach them the proper way of searching and assessing the areas for all uh, uh, additional threats. And when we start out, you know, with the unloaded gun and, and, and we do it the proper way. Um, I remember I wrote an article like several years back and I mean, people just were like, this is the most unsafe thing. And how, how are you going to, you know, you can't have people turning around and all this stuff. And and that's fine. I, I get it. There's a institutionalized thought of all I need to do is look over my shoulder. But in reality, I, I, I would 
venture to guess that you're going to want to be able to turn around and actually see what's going on and move to a position uh, that's better than where you just were. So uh, it's more dynamic. You're, you're moving. And so it's one of those things where, you know, a concept of, yeah, I want to search for additional, you know, threats is a good one, but we don't really apply it correctly. So we end up doing this kind of just theatrical movement and that's supposed to fill the, you know, that's the check mark in the box that I search and assess. Yeah, I have this uh, funny habit. I'll I'll do this when I'm on the range, you know, maybe with a couple other instructors and I'll be behind the firing line and people are running whatever exercise or drill. And at the end of it, I'll, I'll do something goofy or I'll like hold up hands. I'll be like, ah, you know, behind the, and so you get those people, you know, do their check right, left, you know, over the shoulder kind of thing. And then we get done, put all the guns away. And I'm just like, wait, is anybody going to say anything? You know, on a rare occasion, someone will something like, what the crap were you doing? It's like, <laughs> oh, you actually saw. Because that's the other half of this. Even if you if you feel really strongly about this this theatric of checking over your shoulder and looking for threats, which I, I to Matthew's point, maybe that's all you can do on the square range, but it's effectively ineffective. Um, but if, if that's something you feel strongly about, at least really look. At least actually like, Focus and see what you see. Don't just turn your head around to check the box. Actually pay attention. Um, if you're on a line with a bunch of other shooters, like a, a, an effective training thing you could do is look at the other shooters. Be like, oh, like what's going on? Oh, oh, oh okay. Like these guys still got their guns out. It uh, looks like they're still completing the drill. Oh, okay. looks like these guys are done. No malfunctions. We're all good. Um, waiting for my next instruction. Okay. Yep. The instructors are over there over my left shoulder. Like at least, at least see something. Don't just, you know, turn the head around to check the box. Like you said, Matt, yeah, I think that's, that's really good. Good advice. Yep. Yep, yep. All right. We're getting close to the end here. And um, me and Matthew are hitting our hard stop on our time available as well. So I think this will be the last one. And that is the idea of tracking to the ground. So I'll keep this relatively brief, but what I see often is people, um, they have this habit of they perform whatever shooting drill or exercise, and before they break down the gun, they just you know track as if as if the target is falling to the ground like it's a dead body, like it's a, a western movie, bang bang, and this person is just you know the like a puppet, the legs have been removed, and they just slump down and hit the ground like a like a bag of rocks, and the gun just follows them down to the ground like just making sure you stay down, bro, you know kind of thing. But but on a it's it's a target. It's a you know, what do you think about that one, Matthew? Yeah, and it's you ask why are you doing it? And it's like, well, if I shoot somebody, you know, and they're a threat, I want to follow that threat, you know, to the ground. I get it. Yeah, like that makes sense. That's your threat. Um, you want to keep the muzzle oriented at the threat and follow it down to the ground. That's great because yeah, they have a gun or whatever, they can still shoot you from the ground. Absolutely, hundred percent. But what I the difficulty I get with you know, doing that every single time is that the, the target it's, it's all imaginary. You're just imagining that this target is going down and you're, you're building it into a pre designed number of shots. So, you know, the target doesn't actually go down. So you're not actually putting the connection of why am I doing this? I'm doing it because the, the target goes down. You're putting it as, well, it's the end of the drill. I fired off the three prerequisite shots and therefore it goes down. And so if you could, you know, it, it again, um, it's putting a disconnect between why you're doing it and what you, what the purpose of it is in reality. And so if, if you're just doing it because of that, then 
it's not, I, I don't believe it's having the benefit that you think it is. And I think there's probably other ways that you can uh, appropriately, you know, build in the skill of following the target wherever it goes, whether it's down, whether it's to the right, to the left, backwards, closer to you, like you, you, you can start building that into your, your, your thought process rather than drill is over. I'm going to imagine this target goes down because in reality, you know, I'm going to shoot three rounds and of course they're going to hit their mark and the guy's going to fall and I'll track him down to the ground. So it's, it's one of those things where, you know, trying to merge reality and why you're doing it uh, on the range. Yeah. It's a good thing to build into a process. The idea that I'm going to cognitively, actively, consciously assess my threat and make decisions about what to do next. That's a good thing. But if that turns into must drop gun down to ground and simulate as if they're down there bleeding out and I have to see if I have to shoot them again. I mean, I'd, I'd rather see the theatric. I think it would, I think it would be more effective um, if as soon as we're done assessing the drill, would immediately go to like some sort of ready position and run away. <laughs> like to me, that would be that would be more efficient than, than than building the habit of follow to ground, stare at stare at base of target. Like when, as long as we're if we're gonna build a habit, like I think probably run and turn tail and run is be more efficient than than follow target down to ground. <laughs> um, but I get it. Maybe you can't do that on the square range. All right, guys, there you have it. There is our list today, part one, range theatrics, things that we think, you know, you need to ask yourself, why am I doing this? And if you have a good reason, maybe that's the case, that's fine, but at least understand what the reason is and understand that how that might fail you if it becomes a habit that doesn't really apply in real life. We appreciate you tuning in today to the Concealed Carry Podcast. As always, we'd like you to to consider subscribing to the podcast or whatever app or device you use. You can always just go to our website, consultcarry.com, listen. Uh, please check out the other podcasts in our network, the Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast and the Firearm Trainers podcast. You can find all the podcasts in our network at podcasts.concealedcarry.com. Leave us a review. Subscribe. We appreciate you. A reminder from Matthew and I to always train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everyone. Take care, everyone.